Welcome, my true crime roadies. I'm your host, Angela Baum, along with my husband, Larry, and this is Trucking True Crime Podcast, a true crime show where we focus on true crime stories that happen within the trucking industry. But don't worry, you don't need to know anything about the trucking industry to listen and enjoy the show. You just need to be a fan of true crime. And if that's you, then welcome inside. As a reminder, if you'd like to learn more about our life over the road as team truck drivers, you can listen to our other podcast, Married to the Road, where we share our lives over the road and stories along the way with our three furry dogs. As a reminder, our podcast discusses true crimes and murders. This is not a show for the faint of heart, and this is not intended for young audiences. Welcome back all my roadies. So today we have another trucking true crime story for you. This one actually happened back in 2019 around Clarksville, Tennessee. So let's get into our story. So how does a truck driver who looks like your older, friendly, next door neighbor suddenly become suspected of possibly kidnapping, raping, and killing women and children? Today's story is based out of the Clarksville, Tennessee area about a long-haul truck driver who police suspect was a serial rapist and possible serial killer. And the sad part about this is he may have taken the answers to these very same questions to the grave with him. Rather than focusing this story solely on the truck driver, whose name was Roy Nelsch, instead, I want to try to focus this story on the heroic actions of the lone survivor, Abby. This all began on a very hot, muggy night on May 22, 2019, late in the evening. Abby was finding herself driving on an interstate just outside of Clarksville, Tennessee, when she suddenly found that her found herself in a very bad situation. Her car stopped working because it had ran out of gas, and also at that very same moment, her phone also died. Talk about a bad situation, and the bad situation only got worse. It was hot, it was muggy, it was humid, and it was very late at night and dark, and Abby simply just wanted to get home to her two small children that were waiting for her. Now she was stuck on the side of a dark interstate and not sure what she was going to do. This took place off of Interstate 24 near Clarksville, Tennessee, not too far from the exit 1. If you're familiar with this area, which is an area that Larry and I have found ourselves traveling quite often, this is a very dark, desolated, wooded area that late at night doesn't really have a lot of traffic except for from truck drivers late at night. Abby was starting to have a panic set in as she began to worry about how she was going to get home to her two small children. Suddenly a semi-truck pulled up next to her, put on his four-ways, and asked her if she needed any help. Looking inside the cab of the truck, she saw an older gentleman that, as Abby described him, reminded her of a friendly, old neighborhood type of guy. She felt safe and comfortable talking with him. Abby explained that her car had just run out of gas and on top of that, that her phone had just died. The truck driver, Roy, offered to take her to the next exit. The plan was he was gonna take her to the gas station to help her get the gas, 
Then he was going to bring her back to her car and help her get her back on her way. Wanting to get home to her two small children, she gave in. Abby grabbed her purse, her phone, and her wallet and slowly began to climb inside the semi-truck bound for the next exit and to the nearest gas station. As they began their drive down Interstate 24, she immediately began getting an uneasy feeling about the gentleman sitting next to her in the driver's seat. Abby explained that at that very minute she was feeling that this gentleman had a very creepy demeanor and an awkward personality that just made her feel very uneasy about him. Abby also said in a documentary called The Monster Coming Out, I always told my kids not to talk to strangers or to get into strangers' car. And here I was doing exactly what I had told my very own children not to do. But honestly, at that point, I felt that I had no other choices. After getting into the truck, Roy asked Abby about how she would feel continuing with him on his route. She could travel with him along the way. Trying to be polite, Abby told him, No, thank you, I can't. I have two small children waiting for me at home. It was at that moment, in a weird, joking manner, Roy looked at her and said, Well, then maybe I will just have to kidnap you then. Abby thought, wow, that was really a weird joke and weird to say to someone that you just met. Suddenly, she noticed that he was starting to pass her exit, and she asked him why he wasn't getting over into the right-hand lane to make that exit. He told her that the cars behind him were not allowing him to get over so that he could get off on the exit. Abby looked into her passenger side mirror and saw that Roy was lying. There were no cars behind them or even any cars next to them. It was at this moment that Abby decided she needed to get off that truck. She grabbed her purse and her phone and she said, you know, thank you so much for your help, but if you'll just pull over here, I will get out and walk from here to the gas station. Roy began to pull the truck over to the side like he was going to let her out. That's when she goes to grab her items and she looks up at him. It was at that moment she saw that he was holding a handgun up to her face. Roy then tells her, you know what, this is a kidnapping after all. He told her that at this point he was going to rape her. He said this in a very calm manner like this was something that he had definitely done before. So Abby's first thought was, okay, I need to comply with this gentleman so that I can get back to my children. So she went to the back of the cab of the semi-truck. But once she got back there, she was like, no, I have two small children to think of. They're depending on me. I need to fight and get out of this truck. In the back of the cab, the two of them wound up getting into a life or death battle over the handgun. The two of them were fighting to gain control, and at some point, Abby was able to grab the gun out of Roy's hand. Abby cocks the gun and fires a chamber, but nothing happened. There was no bullets in the gun. She said at that moment that she was absolutely terrified. She said that that was her one moment that she possibly had to escape, and now because there was no bullets in the gun, that moment was gone. Roy then at that moment reached out from underneath his seat and grabbed an even bigger gun that he had hidden next to his seat. 
He took that gun and hit Abby upside the head. She said she immediately felt the blood rushing down her head. Roy then took a handcuff that he had in his back pocket and began to handcuff Abby to the back bunk of the truck. He told her that she was to sit there and behave like a good little girl. He then threw a blanket on top of her so she couldn't see where they were going. Roy got back into the driver's seat and he began driving the semi-truck down Interstate 24 again with Abby in the back bunk handcuffed to the back. As they went down the interstate, Roy told her that he was going to keep her for just a few days. He'd rape her a few times and then he would release her and she would be fine. In the meantime, Abby was trying so hard to get her hands out of the handcuffs. She said that she was pulling and scratching, doing everything she could to try to remove her hands from those handcuffs. Eventually, she was able to pull her hands out of the handcuffs. She then took the blanket that Roy had covered her up with and threw it over Roy's head. She came up to the cab, threw the blanket over him, and began grabbing the steering wheel to try to gain control of the semi-truck. She started to try to get the truck to pull over to the side off on the shoulder. The two of them were fighting back and forth for control of the steering wheel. Roy finally decided to pull over and let Abby out of the truck. As Abby was grabbing her things and leaving the truck, Roy yelled at her and said, You know, I didn't expect you to fight so much. I've never had anyone fight this much before. It was at that moment as Abby was getting out of the semi-truck that she realized she had not been Roy's first victim. As Abby ran to the back of the truck, she took a really good look at the semi-truck. She looked at the truck, the trailer, and as she was getting around to the back of the truck, she was even able to get a partial license plate description as well. Abby, bloody and her dress ripped, started running down Interstate 24, trying to flag someone to help her. She began running down and finally a gentleman stopped, pulled over, and allowed her to call 911. She gave the police over the phone a full description of both the truck and the trailer and a partial plate number. She was even able to give them a really good description of the truck driver, Roy. A few hours later, the police found his truck and started to pull him over. They decided they were going to do just a normal traffic stop so not to alert Roy. But immediately, what the police found strange was that when Roy started to get out of the truck, he had his hands above his head, like he was trying to say, hey, you know what, I'm guilty. Have you ever been interested about what all it takes to be a truck driver out here, delivering the goods all across America, or more importantly, what is it like being a team trucker out here with your significant other 24 hours a day in a small confined space, working together, eating together, sleeping together, you name it. If you've ever been curious about the trucking industry, please listen to Larry and I's other podcast, Married to the Road. Again, that's Married, the number two, the road. Please be sure to give it a listen today and don't forget to hit that follow button. When police took Roy into custody, they began to run a police investigation to find out exactly what had happened between Abby and Roy off on that dark interstate road. 
Rory was initially charged with assault and also attempted rape of Abby. One of the first questions that the police asked Rory was why he would carry handcuffs around with him. At first, he tried to tell the police that he used them in self-defense in case someone tried to attack him on the road. He even described how he would use the handcuffs because they were so sharp that they would slice somebody should he need them. The police weren't really buying this. And so you could see that Roy was trying to come up with another line of questioning. So that's when he said that he had a girlfriend that he would sometimes see on the road and that they'd like to engage in the act of bondage. So handcuffs was one of the tools in his arsenal that he would use with his girlfriend. Now, Roy's initial story was that he was a good Samaritan. He was a truck driver that was known to go around the country and would try to help young stranded women whenever they were in distress. And that was his story for that particular night. That he was just going about his way, that he saw her stranded along the side of the interstate, decided to stop and help her, and that he was going to take her to the gas station and then get her back on her way onto the road. He says that while they were on their way to the gas station, that Abby proposed that she would perform a sexual act on him in exchange for Roy buying her some gas for her car. Roy said that he felt repulsed by her suggestion, so he decided that what he was going to do was to perform a very own citizen's arrest by placing her in handcuffs. And can I just pause here and say I call bullshit? Sorry, I did not believe that. But one of the things that the police mentioned was during this initial interrogation that he seemed very polite and respectful. But more than that, the police officers said that he seemed to have had an answer for every single question that they would ask him. The police said that they felt that he had definitely rehearsed his story before. He knew every question that the police were going to ask him and he was ready and prepared with an answer waiting for them. He claimed that he was a good man. He had never picked up prostitutes before. He never had strange women in his truck. But over the last few months, he would stop every once in a while just to help a stranded woman in need, that he was a good Samaritan. When asked if officers could search his truck, he said that he would allow it. He told them, well, you're going to get a search warrant anyway, so I might as well just let you search my truck. He also allowed the police officers to get a DNA sample from him, too, without putting up too much of a fuss. But what made Roy kind of become angry and where he drew the line at was he refused to take a polygraph test because he said the polygraph test was unreliable and couldn't be used in court anyway, so he didn't feel the need to have to submit to a polygraph test. When the police searched the cab of his truck, they found several unsettling things from inside. The first thing they found was the handcuffs that had been used in the crime. The second thing they found was two guns. They also found a stun gun and a computer which contained over 10,000 images and videos of child pornography. They also found he had several knives and a plastic bag that was filled with women's underwear. The most disturbing part of that was that several of the women's underwear appeared to be covered in blood. Also, they found a bag full of women's bras. Also inside of his truck, they found a ledger. This ledger consisted of names of women and children on them. They say that the ledger was 49 pages long. 
A local news uh, department in, ten in Tennessee wound up using the Freedom of Information Act to get a copy of this ledger. And when they went through the ledger, they said the police had redacted so much of it that they weren't able to get much information off of it. Currently, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations is still researching the ledger to see if the names on here were possible victims or missing persons. They won't release very much information about this ledger, but have stated that they are continuing to work on this investigation and this ledger to see if they can possibly solve or figure out who these people are listed in this 49-page ledger. Once the investigation began, they found out that Roy was a truck driver who lived in Alabama, where he had a wife and daughters there. His wife and daughters believed in Roy's innocence completely. They felt that Roy was an innocent man who had been charged unfairly. But while doing their investigation, they also found out that Roy also had a girlfriend on the side. This was a woman that he had met through a Craigslist ad. This was a woman where they would get together every few months whenever he was in her area. In this Craigslist ad, Roy had put that he was looking for a woman to fulfill a rape fantasy with him. One situation that Roy's girlfriend described to the police was that one night he had her blindfolded in bed and handcuffed. The scenario was that he was supposed to come in and play her rapist. She said this scenario began to become too real for her when he was also wanting to tie her up with rope as well. He wanted her to be completely immobilized. She asked Roy to stop, that she was becoming too real for her. She didn't like the scenario and it felt too much like she was actually being raped. Roy complied and actually untied her. She said several times when they would go to do their dates together that he would bring with her what he called his bag of tricks. Inside of his bag, he had a long set of pins, kind of like long sewing pins. He said that women that he would engage in relations with would allow him to put those pins under their skin in their chest, breast areas, and buttocks. Then he would use his stun guns on those sewing pins because it would cause uh, more intensity to the pain for the woman. Also inside of his bag of trips was um, rope, handcuffs, adult toys, zit ties, and much more. The girlfriend said that inside his truck, he would have women's bras hanging from the top bunk of his truck and his bag of tricks would constantly be laying on the bottom bunk. One night as she was climbing into his truck, she asked him what his wife thought about all of this that he kept inside of his truck. And Roy simply stated that his wife was never allowed inside of his truck. The police asked the girlfriend if during their time together, if she was ever feel fearful or scared of Roy. She said no, not until after he got arrested and she had heard what all they had found out about what he did to Abby and all the things that they had found inside of his truck. Actually, how she found out that he was even arrested was they were supposed to meet up for another date night. This was supposed to be another one of those times when Rory was going to be in the area and they were going to try to get together for a couple hours. Now, when she didn't hear from Roy for a few days and he wound up never ever showing up, she decided that what she was going to do was a Google search. She wanted to see if possibly Roy had been in an accident, especially since he was a long-haul truck driver. But she said that once she went to Google and typed in his name, what she saw was that he had been arrested for assault and attempted rape on Abby. Feeling that she had to do the right thing, she did see that the police were saying they had a hotline number. 
This is where the police were asking for the public's help that if they had any information about Roy, they wanted them to call the hotline number. Figuring that eventually the police were going to find out about her in one way or another, she decided instead to give the police a call and she began to tell them all about her relationship with Roy and giving them all the information that she could gather. In March of 2022, while sitting in a jail cell awaiting for his trial, Roy wound up dying from pneumonia. The pneumonia was a complication caused from a long battle that he'd been suffering from leukemia while he was incarcerated. When this immediately happened, the police hurried to try to notify the victim, Abby. Their major concern was they wanted her to hear about the news before the media got to her first. Abby's response was she was extremely mad. She wanted him to face justice for what he had done to her. But more importantly, she had hoped that maybe he would admit to how many other victims there really had been, how many other women or children that possibly have been missing that they could possibly put to an end and give some relief for those families. But with the death of Roy Nelsh, sadly, a lot of those secrets have probably gone away with him to the grave. Now, while the TBI claims that they are still investigating using Roy's DNA that they did collect from him and also the 49-page ledger, they fear that the money will run out and eventually the investigation will stop. For several years after his death, Abby said that she really struggled to get her life back on track. She felt like she was stuck in a really dark place that she just simply couldn't get out of, not even for her own children's sake. However, she recently has made a major life decision and moved with her children to the state of Florida. She's hoping that by moving to a new state, that maybe she'll have a new fresh start in her life and start to begin to really rebuild her life again. If it had not been for the quick thinking and the brave actions of Abby, we might never have known about Roy Nelsh, the truck driver, and the possibility of solving more crimes by all the evidence and the DNA that they have found within his truck. So we want to say a huge thank you to Abby for everything that she did to try to bring down this horrible truck driver. And hopefully in the future, Abby will have a bright future and maybe we'll get some answers as to the possible victims that Roy has left in his wake. I want to thank you guys all for listening to our podcast. Please be sure to come back next week where we'll have another great podcast for you. And as always, my roadies, be safe out there. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies, for giving our podcast a listen. We really appreciate you listening to our Trucking True Crime podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to visit our Instagram page or our TikTok page, also Trekking True Crime Podcast. And don't forget that you can visit our Facebook page as well. Again, Trekking True Crime Podcast. Be sure to like, share, and follow, and be sure to share out our podcast to all your friends. We'll be back here next week with another great episode. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies. Be safe out there. Thank you.